Welcome to the State Bar of Texas podcast, your monthly source for conversations and curated content to improve your law practice with your host, Rocky Deer. Hi, and welcome to the State Bar of Texas podcast. Now, if you're a Texas lawyer, you might do what I do. Kind of take for granted that stuff just kind of happens to make our state bar function. The truth is that the State Bar of Texas has a dedicated and capable set of staff members who make that stuff turn into reality. But who comes up with the stuff? Who provides the vision and the framework for how our state bar operates? Well, it's a cadre of bar leaders, individual lawyers who have decided to give of their time to make our profession and our state bar stronger and better with time. In this episode, we will meet two extraordinary bar leaders, Pablo Almaguer and Silvia Borunda Firth. Pablo and Silvia are not your typical bar leaders, though. They have served our profession with such dignity and such gravity that they are our 2020 candidates for state bar president-elect. We'll get a chance to meet them in just a few moments, but first, a bit of procedural housekeeping. We're lawyers. We like procedures, right? Well, as many of you know, as of this recording, the nation is in the throes of the outbreak of the COVID-19, aka coronavirus, pandemic. This situation has caused a slight change in our election procedures. Normally, we would have the option of voting electronically or via paper ballot. This year, in an effort to help stop the spread of the virus, the State Bar of Texas is resorting to strictly online voting. But the good news is that voting has been extended. Voting will proceed from April 1st, 2020 until 5 p.m. Central Time on May 29th, 2020. That's extended from April 30th, so almost an extra month. So now we have no excuse not to vote, and with that, let's meet our candidates. And trust me, He'll have a tough time deciding how to vote. Let's proceed alphabetically by last name. First, we have Pablo Almaguer, who has been a lawyer since 1997 and has spent his entire career working at Texas Rio Grande Legal Aid, eventually working his way to his current role as Director of Private Bar and Government Relations, a position he has held since 2018. Pablo served on the State Bar of Texas Commission for Lawyer Discipline from 2012 to 2018 and even served as chair from 2017 to 2018. He was on the State Bar Board of Directors from 2008 to 2012 and currently serves as a board trustee for the Texas Center for Legal Ethics. Next, meet Sylvia Barunda Firth, a solo practitioner from El Paso. Prior to hanging her own shingle, Sylvia had worked at two El Paso law firms, served as general counsel to American Garment Finishers, and also worked for the city of El Paso, eventually serving as the city attorney. In fact, Sylvia is the immediate past president of the Texas City Attorneys Association and currently sits on the El Paso Bar Association Board of Directors. At the state bar level, Sylvia was on the state bar board of directors from 2014 to 2018 and currently serves as vice chair of the state bar's local bar services committee. And she also serves on the council of the state bar of Texas government law section. Wow, the intros alone on these two stellar candidates could fill an entire podcast episode, and I must say I find myself a bit lacking when it comes to the kind of bar service these two people do. But interestingly, I didn't even cover everything about them. They're incredible. But now, without any further wait, let's get to know Pablo and Sylvia. Thank you both for being here. Thank you. Thank you, Rocky. Absolutely. So you've both been very active in the state bar and at the local level. Now, for me personally, I have trouble finding time to clip my nails, much less take on more volunteer work. So walk us through the how and the why. How do you make time for all this state bar and local bar work? And why are you doing all this? So Pablo, let's start with you. Rocky, thank you once again. First of all, I want to say to all the members who are listening to this at home during social isolation and 
having to, you know, work out of the office. Uh, good luck in this time. And uh, thank you for even taking the time to listen to our podcast and be informed. And I know you've got many other things to worry about, but hopefully this will provide some information and distraction during these hard times. As to answer the question, I am an immigrant child. I came over here to the U.S. when I was five years of age. And, you know, I, there's a lot the country, the system of government, the rules of law that uh, provided to me, including being the first to go to college and go to law school, become an attorney and become a legal aid attorney. At every turn, I've been really appreciative, whether it be my community, uh, my school, and now my profession, you know, for all they've given me. So um, I feel that it's a responsibility to give back to the profession they gave to me. I take part in local and state bar participation any way I can. Uh, but I also do it because I think it also helps uh, bridge communication gaps between my profession um, and what I do as a legal aid attorney and maybe others out there. So I find it uh, that it adds to my experience. Well, thanks, Pablo. And, and Sylvia, how about you? How do you, how do you make this time and, and why in the world are you doing this? Well, we all know that our most precious resource is time and you can't get more of it. And so we all carefully select where we use our time. But like Pablo, I'm also first-generation college graduate and, and lawyer in my family. I'm very proud to be a lawyer, and I feel the obligation to give back to our profession. And right now, I'm at a place in my career where I have the time to dedicate my volunteerism towards our profession. But I think it's important for not only the lawyers, but for the public to see diversity in leadership at the state bar level. So that's why I decided to get involved. I came to it a little bit later in my career. Unfortunately, I didn't start out like a lot of people do, TYLA and, and all of that activity. I've only really gotten involved in state bar activity um, starting in 2013. Um, and because I was dedicating a lot of my time to the more um, dedicated Texas City Attorneys Group and working in my volunteerism through that and through the local bar. Well, now let's let's talk a little bit about being president of the State Bar of Texas. That's that's no that's no short order. So, Sylvia, let's let's start with you on that one. Why do you want to serve as president of the State Bar of Texas? Well, interestingly enough, it's not something that I contemplated um, until after I got involved with the board. And when I got at, to the board level and I looked around and I still saw a lack of diversity in the leadership. And although I was very welcomed and valued as a member of the board, I, I thought it was time for those of us who can, who are minority, either gender minority or ethnic minority, um, to, to offer ourselves up for leadership roles, because I think it's important for the generations that follow us to see that. Um, when, when the leadership of the state bar of Texas goes first day, opening days of law schools across the state, I think that the young woman sitting in the, in the back row, who's their first day of law school, should look up there and see uh, leadership and recognize that she can be part of that leadership. And so that's why I offered myself up for consideration. And Sylvia, I think you brought up diversity at least twice so far. So that's, that's an important topic. Let's talk about that in just a second. But Pablo, let's hear from you before we get there. Why do you want to serve as president of the State Bar of Texas? That, that sounds like a really time-consuming position. It, you know, it, it, it is. And then right now in the midst of all this, what's going on and knowing that the person who'd be elected is going to have to be responsible for many of the responses to the recovery of all this. And I'm sure, you know, whoever wins or doesn't win, we're going to cooperate together, Sylvia and I, to kind of move that forward. Um, 
so you would think why you want to do it right now. But I really do, you know, as mentioned earlier, give back to my community any way that I can. Plus, as a legal aid attorney, a public interest attorney, I provide uh, services to low-income individuals who otherwise wouldn't get any other kind of legal services. Uh, it's a lot of responsibility, but I do see how sometimes life challenges uh, are exacerbated, you know, just because of the access to uh, legal, proper legal representation. That's a lot of responsibility we have as attorneys. And I think what I can do to help the professional uh, make it easier to meet those demands in their practice in any way they do for any kind of clients they do, I think it's better for and best for all of us to support the rule of law. Um, plus, another thing, too, that I in talking to different legal groups and going around the state, you know, uh, asking for pro bono representation or just talking about legal state bar matters or ethical issues as a member of the grievance uh, disciplinary process, I can tell you that there's more common interests uh, that far outweigh our differences. And I want people, I think, our attorneys to know that. I think uh, it's a good message to give out there. And, you know, as mentioned, uh, I think the message is stronger when the leadership reflects its membership. It's interesting because, Sylvia, you mentioned the importance of diversity, and then Pablo, you just talked about sort of bridging the gaps and finding commonality. So this may be a good time to, to kind of talk for a moment about diversity. Sylvia, you mentioned, you mentioned wanting to increase the diversity in our state bar. How do you think we do that? Well, I think, number one, the state bar leads by example. And I think the fact that you have Pablo and I both as candidates is a good example of the fact that the state bar leadership, I mean, we came through the nominations committee and were, uh, were approved by the board. You can see that they have at least an interest in presenting to diversity candidates. But when I, when I came to the state bar and I was a minority director, and so I had to make my case as to what, what was my special interest group? Why, why did I need a seat at the table? I brought. I, I talked about more than just the fact that a gender. The, I'm a female Hispanic. I talked about um, the geographic geographic diversity of the state. This is a big state, and it's quite easy for people in you know Metroplex and other place to forget about those of us out here in West Texas. There's also diversity of practice that sometimes gets forgotten. Um, the government law section that uh, that I'm a on the uh, council for represents lawyers who work for the state, for the city, district attorneys, county attorneys, all across the state. And it's very difficult for that group to be involved in state bar leadership just because of the nature of their work. Hmm. If you work for government, you can't do a lot of a lot of the volunteer work that we do without taking vacation time and otherwise. So it's hard for people to do it. And I, I would like to be a voice for those people. I, I, when, when I've traveled around and met with um, government lawyers all across the state, they are energized by the fact that somebody who has experience in the government sector um, would be at, in, a, in a leadership role to be able to represent that group. We all pay dues the same as everybody else. And our, our interests and needs are just a little bit different than, um, than others. So that's part of the diversity as well that we need to be mindful of. And Pablo, you talked about, you know, when, when we're talking about this issue of diversity, you know, Sylvia has, has brought up a very interesting point, you know, that diversity is, is multifaceted. And then you talked about finding commonality and trying to help bridge those gaps in a sense. So can you talk to us about diversity? How does, how does the state bar go about increasing diversity in its ranks? Uh, you know, um, th there are actually very many programs in place already that actually do provide a pipeline or a diversity initiatives. One of the first ones that comes to mind is the Texas Young Lawyers Association. 
if you look at their leadership throughout the years, uh, both gender, um, ethnicity, ethnicity wise, and even practice wise, very diverse leadership. I mean, I don't know how it is that they do it, but they recruit that. And I think it's always good to support TYLA and those leaders who are going to probably eventually be future leaders at the state bar, board of directors level, or even their local bar associations. But within the state bar, there are initiatives uh, that offer great support for attorneys of many different backgrounds. Uh, Leadership SBOT, a great initiative started by Harper Estes, the former state bar president, uh, is one of the examples. State bar departments like the Office of Minority Affairs, uh, it's a great program. Uh, Hopefully we continue supporting it. It oversees the Texas Minority Attorney Program, the Texas Minority Council Program. Those terms are synonymous with successful diversity initiatives the state bar puts together. Uh, those are very specific examples that I think we would should, I would support uh, as president of the state bar. Uh, and, and I do that to give you a macro level. Uh, and I put this in my letter of interest, you know, when I submitted this to the uh, committee back in August or so to run for president, that, you know, we live in a democracy that is very much flourishes under the rule of law that we all are part of. That democracy, the rule of law, is highly dependent on diversity and consideration for all. So, if we apply it at the macro level to our system of government, to our rule of law, I think we have to do within the profession where, you know, our professionals uh, support that rule of law. Now, Pablo, you'd mentioned earlier, you know, so we've talked a bit about diversity and, and the importance and how we how we advance that. Now, let's let's switch gears to something else you talked about earlier. And, and I want to thank you for the for the reminder to everybody to continue sheltering in place and to take COVID-19 very seriously. But, you know, both you and Sylvia, both of you guys are running for this office in rather unprecedented times. So, you know, everybody, by now everybody's aware that, that as we're recording this, the coronavirus has got many parts of Texas and certainly large parts of the country under shelter in place orders. We're told to maintain social distancing, and we're also told that things will probably get worse before they get better. So, Pablo, let's start with you. In your opinion, what can the State Bar of Texas do to help lawyers through not only this process, but what can we as a profession do to help the community at large? You know, thank you for the question. You know, and uh, I got to mention to you that uh, one of the initiatives that I put forth early on before even knowing, you know, this is going to be a pervasive issue for all of us was that I wanted to see maybe the state bar can focus on a very clear discover. I'm sorry, a disaster um, recovery response, not just you know for the state bar and employees and for the public in general, but for our members specifically. Uh, and some you know never knowing that we we're going to have to this non-hazard of a type of a, a, a disaster, which is going to end up being we have to have recover from it. Uh, and some of the ideas that I kind of put in theory out there that maybe the state bar can do. Uh, it, it, as if the president would take it on as an initiative, uh, have, are you seeing him right now? Uh, TexasBar.com has the coronavirus uh, section. I think continually updating that area, um, letting people know about resources, that's a great resource. Um, and that's great for attorneys to go and see what is being done, to be informed, you know, as they stay at home and get information. Because there is an overload of information that if you don't have a filtering of it, you don't know where to go. To go to the Texas bar, it's a good uh, resource, and I think it's good for us. I think it's good for the state bar to continue providing resources to our members about remote or distancing lawyering so that we can practice from the house, whether it be affordable software or other equipment that we can use at home. Uh, Another key component that I think maybe people are not seeing carefully, the social isolation, that this constant pressure 
maybe creates you know a lot of pressure on the individual attorney. So maybe focusing on TLAP resources, Texas Lawyers um, uh, Assistance Program, that would provide you know for maybe some kind of just you know mindfulness to consider you know relaxing and and deal with the pressures that you're coping with. You might feel it might be alone and you're not. Uh, but then for law practice management resources, uh, later on, consider uh, hardship waivers for CLE, many ideas. But I think all those, if we take care of our members, then we can take care of the public. In a few weeks, in a few months, when this is over, we can go out and represent clients. There'll be the life cycle of disaster recovery assistance. And we're going to have to help the public with consumer issues, family law issues, uh, employment issues. And we have to be ready to meet those demands. That's what I do for a living to develop those kind of uh, trainings for attorneys and for the public. And I think we're ready to do that. Sylvia, how about you? I mean, obviously you're, you know, you're as affected by COVID-19 as everybody else and being out in El Paso, you know, you, you may be seeing it, seeing it at a different level than maybe some of the folks out in the, in the metropolitan areas. In your opinion, what can the state bar do to help lawyers through this process? And, and as a profession, what do we do to help the community at large? It's, it's really interesting. I follow a lot of um, social media blog sites, watching the lawyers respond to this. And then also, my husband is also a lawyer and has a small law firm. So watching them deal with the economic crisis that's coming our way. Um, lawyers who are at home have really, to a large degree, lost sources of income. So sure. adjustments are going to be need to be made. While the courts are closed, lawyers are not able to participate in hearings. So there's a couple of things and there's, a, you know, when I started my campaign, I started more as a listening um, candidate than had one than a fixed platform. So a lot of my platform has developed over the time I've been campaigning. And even now with this COVID-19 response, um, it's, it's, it's a, a altering, but I can tell you now that the, I can see the economic impact of COVID-19 is going to far exceed in time the, the immediate medical crises. So we as a state bar are going to need to respond accordingly. State bar is going to need to tighten their belt just like the lawyers are tightening their belts across the state. I mean, there's a lot of heartbreak over um, furloughing support staff, people that have support staff that, that are not getting paid right now, getting them back to work. And, and how are we going to rebuild the, the infrastructure for the lawyers on the way back? But um, just as a short short term term measures is just as Pablo said, we need to help the lawyers to um, be ready to distance practice um, and maybe providing some of um, software, et cetera, so that they can continue. Um, maybe extending time for filing your CLE, maybe filing um, extensions even for paying of dues. I mean, I, I think we need to be ready to think out of the box. Now for the public, um, we're already beginning to see the concern that members of the public that have lost income are experiencing um, with how do I tell my landlord I can't pay my rent? Of course, the court system has already, Supreme Court and governor has helped with the abatement on um, evictions, et cetera, but that's not helping commercial clients. So there's going to be a lot of different kinds of work for lawyers coming through this. And then the big thing that's kind of out there, that's the big elephant in the corner is the constitutional rights of individuals and the suspension of constitutional rights while we're dealing with this medical crisis. So as a lawyer, it's, it's, you know, one of the, they ironically called it, they usually call it the Chinese curse. Maybe we live 
live in interesting times. Mm-hmm. We're living in interesting times right now. And for lawyers, we're going to have a lot of interesting work as we come out of this crisis. Now, it's in, you've both talked a little bit about, about working from home and court closures. Do we as a, as a profession need to be giving some thought to how to adapt our courts so that they don't shut down at times like these? I mean, are there, are there technologies, are there measures that we could put in place to allow courts to continue functioning even in the midst of a crisis? And I ask this because, you know, there are reports saying that this is going to come in waves. So even after we get over this first wave of COVID-19, there may be a second wave that hits. And so we could see more of this just kind of in fits and starts over the next several years. Do we need to adapt our court structure to be able to deal with that? Sylvia, let's start with you. I think that's absolutely a necessity. And I think that if you're watching what's happening across the state, different courts have responded in different ways, some more successful than others. The criminal courts have to keep operating. Um, So we need to continue to encourage them and make lawyers ready. And and it's going to be a matter of training and adaptability. And interestingly enough, some of the commentary you see from lawyers is we should have been doing this all along. There really was no need for us to have to drive all the way downtown to go for this particular type of hearing if we could have literally dialed it in. Um, And so I think that we're going to see a lot of adjustment from it. And I think it it will be a a turn for the better, I think. Pablo, what about you? What's what's your opinion on, on the courthouses and adaptability to these types of, whether they're pandemics or other types of crises that keep us at home? Yeah, uh, you know, in my example, you know, that I can in some way kind of look at as a disaster that changed things we do is 9-11 and how now we travel in a different way than we did before 9-11. And we all used to it now because we understand why it happens. Now this is a greater level on a worldwide level. I think we are going to come up differently from this, better, stronger and better informed about being careful for it with our health. But I think it's actually a good thing to force maybe the court system to consider uh, moving outside of comfort zone for some, maybe not for all of them. Um, I'll tell you one thing. I, I was uh, one of the first attorneys in our county who used Skype to bring uh, have a, a client uh, testify. And um, it took, a, you know, a, 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 a judge. You could hear, you know, the, the reasons that could work well and it happened well. And once he saw it happening and it worked well, then he used it again. And now it's somewhat commonplace. I think this is going to happen now as we are forced to use these technologies of a different type of video conferencing and other ways to appear in court. Uh, we are having more confidence by the courts in using them and then maybe, you know, be allowed to use them in the future. Uh, and I think it's a positive thing. And there's been a little bit of a transition towards this uh, in the past few years by the Supreme Court of Texas when we were slowly required to go to e-filing. So instead of having to walk your documents over to the courthouse, we scan them, we, you know, put them up by email, we e-file them. Both civil and criminal do that. So in a sense, we were kind of heading this way. This is going to just be like a, a bit of a, a leap towards it instead of small in- incremental steps. But it will change, I, I think, in a positive way and, and more trust and confidence in what the technology that's out there and maybe probably more development in the technology to help us, you know, depositions, client meetings, uh, many of things. Let's, let's step back for a second and think outside of the immediate pandemic, you know, beyond COVID-19. You know, Pablo, what what do you think are the most important issues facing the legal profession? And what do you think the state bar should be doing to address those issues? You know, I, my recruitment term for uh, a pro bono attorney when I do a pro bono training is the fact that I've got to respect the fact that we have a business model of practicing law. 
And that is one of the biggest, I think, concerns and pressures for attorneys. Uh, we have to sometimes learn the business model on the job, you know, and, and as the world changes. So I think it'd be good for the state bar to offer affordable CLE, law practice management training, and new technologies, you know, identify new technologies and how to help your office so you can meet that model, so you can easier work through that. Uh, that's always the challenge, you know, the changing technology, the business model. Uh, if we can somehow ease that, that'd be great. And very specifically, and this might come up later on, there's also a current, you know, challenge where they're actually literally challenging the uh, mandatory state bar status uh, that's being filed in, in uh, court. And that's another uh, challenge that I think the state bar needs to look at and leadership needs to be careful with. Uh, and we need to follow that through. Uh, I think a unified bar is a stronger one. Uh, but whatever the courts do decide, we have to kind of move forward with it. But those are definitely two, I think, a very macro and micro examples of the challenges of our practice today. Sylvia, how about you? What are the most important legal issues we as lawyers face and what should the state bar be doing to address those issues? Well, we have a serious problem with lawyer wellness um, and it's common knowledge that we have a profession that is suffering with mental health issues and substance abuse concerns. And so we need to continue to fund programs like TLAP and we need to look for um, ways to to get the word out about the programs that TLAP offers. Um, I, I'm really impressed with the work that's being done by the TYLA this year. They have dedicated their year to the, the wellness programs. And of course, I'm a big supporter of TYLA. Um, and I think we need to let follow up on some of the initiatives they've introduced. But we also need to, one, one thing I talk about, um, because unfortunately I was present when a widow of a young lawyer who committed suicide talked about the fact she could see what was happening, but she didn't know where to go for help. And so I think that somehow as a profession, we need to get the word out to the family members of lawyers and also support staff. The support staff will be the first witnesses to a lawyer in crisis. So one of my initiatives is to continue to support TLAP and then also to try to find ways to get the word out about the program so people are, can easily access them. The other issue that we have um, is an access to justice issue, which Pablo already touched on. He's dedicated his career to that. But we also need to, it's very obvious, and in fact, lawyers are very aware of it. As I've traveled around the state and visited to them, there is a gap in the system there's a, there are several people who would not qualify for traditional legal aid um, services because of the money they make. So they're out there in the middle. And so how do we get good service to that, that group of people that can't afford to maybe pay full market rate um, for legal services, but they still need the legal services? So part of my idea was to work with the Texas Opportunity and Justice Incubator, TOGI, and see if we could expand that to allow participants to receive credit for not only pro bono work, but maybe for some discounted rate services um, and for representation in some of the underserved areas of the state, like El Paso, the border communities in general are underserved. There's 105,000 lawyers in the state of Texas, but there's only 1,200 in El Paso in our district, and most of those work for government. So there's a need for more lawyers in this part of the state. So we need to support bringing them out to areas of the state that are underserved. Sylvia, I want to thank you for bringing up 
TLAP, and I think Pablo, even you mentioned TLAP earlier as well. You both have you both have done a great service by by giving them a plug. And for those of you that are listening that maybe don't know about some of our past episodes, the September 2019 episode of this podcast talks about lawyer suicides and TLAP and what we can do as a community of lawyers to try to help one another. So thank you both for bringing up that very, very important issue that Pablo, as you said, is going to become only only more pertinent as we all shelter in place and deal with COVID-19. So, so very important message for everybody. Let's, let's talk a little bit about each of you individually. So Pablo, let's maybe start with you. What's your most satisfying legal experience? Tell us about, tell us about one that stands out to you. I have to tell you that my clients um, that I represent, I'm like I said before, I'm their last stop. But for me, there'd be nobody else that would represent them. Uh, I think, um, that's satisfying in a way on a daily basis and the clients that I do kind of represent but to be quite honest and not I mean this is a response you're going to see for an answer that I wrote you know a couple of weeks ago for the Texas Bar Journal uh the work that we've done recently for disaster response uh, we did it when Hurricane Harvey hit uh Texas Rio Grande Legal Aid was at the forefront I have my wife who's a manager of our local legal aid office and she's uh, one of the managers that develop our disaster response and uh, I mean as always, of course, the smartest person in the room. Whenever you know we're both in the room, and uh, <laughs> good answer. And this is being recorded too, so she, so you got proof that she said this. Trust me, yeah, no, she is also the better teacher right now as we're homeschooling our two kids in this house because I, I don't know how she <laughs> does it all, but um, yeah, and she's the one that you know, along with her team, that developed the disaster uh, recovery response. And uh, what I did when Harvey hit is that I started collecting all the information. Uh, that uh, they were providing us internally and how to help with FEMA appeals, for example, and put it together in a website, in a blog. It still exists out there, and it has like 1,700 hits. The Association of Pro Bono Council picked it up, and through that, we were able to uh, place um, 80 pro bono cases because they could go to that website and see the resources, see the training, and take on a pro bono case. That was amazing because then law schools picked it up too. So we had law students, we had big pro bono, big, big bar, uh, firm attorneys doing some pro bono work. And then we also have our solo small practitioners, which make up half, more than half of our membership, all picking up cases. And, and that was good to see our community come together with a very simple blog entry, you know, resources and what to do. That was satisfying. Sylvia, your turn. Most satisfying legal experience. I'm, I'm sure you've got some stories too. Well, yes. Well, 35 years a lawyer, I have lots of different types of experience. <laughs> But I'll have to tell you that most of my most rewarding work came when I was the city attorney or in the city attorney's office. Um, because when you work in that kind of public service, you're a community builder. So you are a resource to the mayor and council who are the policy, people setting the policy. But I had one project that bridged, bridged over from when I was in private practice and then got to continue it as a, as a city attorney. And that was uh, working on the restoration efforts for a, our historic Plaza Theater in downtown El Paso. And that was the rebirth of the downtown area for our community. And we had lots of legal challenges to bring that theater back to life, but the community was behind it. And so we overcame all of those. And it was just one of those days where you can actually see something concrete that you worked on and feel really good about it. I actually saw grown men crying when they walked in and saw that because it had been 
had fallen into such disrepair and they never, they thought they would, it was almost demolished to be a parking lot. And so when they walked in the first night and saw it and in all its glory, you know, if you've ever, if you've never been to El Paso, you need to come and see it. It's a beautiful uh, theater that has been fully restored and lovingly taken care of with a a private partner, um, our community foundation. Is it a movie theater, Sylvia, or or is it? it it's, it is both. It was originally a movie theater, but in order to make it economically feasible, we had to do um, for live performances. So our, our metric at the time was a theater that could house um, The Lion King because that was the biggest traveling roadshow at the time. And so we did it. And two years later, actually had The Lion King come for a long stand in El Paso. So that that was just fun from a community building kind of standpoint. And the other thing that I've done as a volunteer is I work with UTEP. So back to our issue about El Paso being so remote and also a very, um, uh, it's a minority community, a lot of first generation college graduates at UTEP. And so they have a program they call the Law School Preparatory Institute. And it's done an amazing job creating opportunities for young people in El Paso to go to law school. And when I was the city attorney, I worked with them and offered internships to them. Uh, it's a pipeline. They've got, they start now in the high school level looking for young kids that are interested in, in becoming lawyers. And uh, we've seen them go all the way through to where I actually had one young man come to work in the city attorney's office after he had been in the pipeline and we saw him on his way through. And so uh, I, I, that kind of work was very satisfying for me to see, to build a minority. And then there, it is a very diverse group of students from El Paso. So those are two things. You both have some great stories. I'd, I'd love to be able to, to hear more about all of them, but let's, Let's shift gears to something that might help in a different way with everybody staying at home as we as we record this and their shelter in place orders and are they socially distance. Let's talk about books, TV, movies. So let's let's talk about lawyers in the books, TVs and movies. What's your favorite TV book or movie representation of a lawyer and and why? So Sylvia, let's 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 have you go first. Your favorite one. Okay, so, you know, the the tried and true answer that everybody always talks about is To Kill a Mockingbird and Atticus Finch. That's sure. an easy one. So I, so that one, when I was writing my answer to that, I said, we can't say that. Everybody says that. So let me think about it a little bit more. But I, <laughs> I actually do enjoy some of the comedy stuff as well. I love Vinny and um, my cousin Vinny. I love the, those fun representations of lawyers. But I also loved in the movie in Philadelphia. Denzel's character sure and I think and that was a very powerful movie of it and it it did more than just talk about the legal relation the legal process but also the friendship between the two men that developed and and their strengths and so that I I don't know I found that very inspiring that would be my answer for today anyway (laughs) Pablo how about you you know, as a legal air attorney and someone who actually met John Grisham a few months ago when he was doing a, uh, a speak, he was a speaker for a fundraiser for the Access of Justice Foundation. Uh, I'm going to say Samantha Coffer uh, from Gray Mountain, uh, okay. somebody who left the private practice to go to legal aid. Uh, mm. That's just a great example. We want to kind of swear there because it's a legal aid attorney and we all think we wear capes when we walk anywhere, you know, into a courthouse where the heroes there. A funny one that people initially have to hear me out on this one. Better Call Sal, 
it's a really <laughs> good pro about what not to do as an attorney. Because, but, I mean, the daily struggles that you see him, you know, from his, you know, car and working out of, you know, certain offices and just dealing with the vouchers. I mean, it's interesting, but I mean, don't, you don't want to be Sal Goodman, let me tell you that right now. But, you know, my answer that, you know, Sylvia mentioned, we had provided some of these answers in writing for the Texas Bar Journal. Uh, I kind of shifted away, not to be taken away from the levity of it at all here, but to, to be honest about it, my image is a true one. Um, when, when I came to the U.S. and I had to translate for my parents the letters from the immigration attorney so they can know what's going on with our case, or when I translate those letters from the real estate attorney when my dad bought us the first house that, you know, that my mom and dad still live in, uh, I think that image is the one that sticks to me, that made me be interested in the law because I wonder, you know, what is it about a lawyer that makes them so important in our lives? Uh, that stuck with me, and that led me to, you know, to become an attorney in Miami. Wow. Now, you know, I, I got to tell you, great answers from both of you. The one answer I was looking for and didn't hear was legally blonde. I don't know why oh. neither one of you. <laughs> Actually, in my written, I do mention Elle Woods in my written response to the Bar Journal. So you'll see it. <laughs> okay, good, good. So I mean, she, And Denny Crane and Denny Crane from television. I, yeah, I do, I do mention. A, and Saul is actually in my written answer, too. <laughs> okay, okay, good. Let me tell you something related. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but anyway, to, to TV shows that it, when washing your hands, you should probably like, narrate down the law and order statement when they all start up, you know, and, <laughs> and apparently when you finish saying all that, that's enough time to have cleanly wash your hands. So there's another useful thing to know. Use your law it, and order knowledge. Is it original law and order or special victims unit? Okay. Now you're getting technical. Now well, you're I mean, you know, Hey, we're, we're having fever. It's more than sheltering in place, but it's up to you. I guess either one, I'm sure as long as it's 20 seconds. <laughs> we're trying to answer the important questions here. So, <laughs> So guys, thank you so much. You know, that is all the time we have for today's episode, but I want to thank my guests, Pablo Almaguer and Silvia Barunda Firth for joining us. And of course, I want to thank you for tuning in. And please, if you're a member of the State Bar of Texas, don't forget to vote online between April 1st and May 29th, 2020. If you like what you heard today, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. Until next time, remember... Life's a journey, folks. I'm Rocky Deer, signing off for now. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Go to TexasBar.com slash podcasts. Subscribe via Apple Podcasts and RSS. Find both the State Bar of Texas and Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Or download the free app from Legal Talk Network in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, the State Bar of Texas, Legal Talk Network, or their respective officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, or subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. <laughs>